the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Today's story from the book of Exodus raises a particular question. Exactly which God do you believe in? You may be surprised how many Episcopalians confess privately to their priests and say, I'm sort of maybe kind of an atheist. (laughs) I love the tradition, the music, the message of Jesus, but I don't believe in a big white bearded old man in the sky. Some of you might be shocked. Others might be thinking, me neither. Well, for the record, I also don't believe in that God. Now, before you go reporting to the bishop that the rector of Holy Communion came out as an atheist this morning, (laughs) hold your horses. I do believe in God. But if you identified with those words, with the possibility of atheism, I want to invite you to consider Maybe you aren't an atheist. I want to offer you this morning that the trouble with believing in God these days is all of the false gods, all the idols, the false images of gods that are on sale, cheap in the marketplace of ideas. That's really the tension at the heart of this story from Exodus about the golden calf. While Moses is busy, 40 days up there on the mountain receiving the law from God, Moses' people grew restless. And so they said to Aaron, Moses' God is taking too long. You, you give us a God. So Aaron produces a golden calf. A little bit later in the text, after our reading this morning, once Moses comes down and throws a fit and the tablets in a fury over the idolatry, Aaron will lie. He'll tell the prophet, I did take their gold. I threw it in the fire and poof, a golden calf appeared. Aaron tries to cover his tracks. Why? Why is this such a big deal? Why do we talk about God as a jealous God? Why is the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me? If we believe God to be omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all those omni words, why does God care about a golden calf, about false images? God is more powerful than any false god anyway, right? I want to argue this morning the stakes are high. Maybe not so much for God, but for us. To name the stakes, I want to talk about two particular false gods. These false gods are old, ancient, old enough that they're named in the Bible. I want to argue that these false gods are alive and well today. Fitting with our story today, both of these gods over the centuries have been depicted as cattle. The names of these two twin-horned idols, Mammon and Moloch. Let's talk about Mammon. When I first came to Holy Communion for an interview and I saw the wall behind the altar, I joked with the vestry. Those funny medallions back there, they caught my attention. The one on the right is obviously a Christian symbol, but the one on the left... 
let's be honest, some of you know where I'm going, it looks a lot like a dollar sign. I said to the vestry, is this so you can choose each Sunday morning, whether this week you're serving God or wealth? And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, after telling his disciples to store their treasure in heaven, you cannot serve both God and mammon. That word for wealth. And since I was trusted with the job after that interview, I should tell you, the left medallion is supposed to be an IHS, a centuries-old sign for the first three letters of the name Jesus in Greek, Yoda, Eta, Sigma. The right medallion is a Cairo, the first two letters in Christ. Thus, the medallions are meant to represent Jesus Christ. But that one doesn't really look like a U.S. dollar. <laughs> if we're honest, the Episcopalian take on God has often resembled mammon. We are, per capita, the wealthiest and most educated Christian denomination. Episcopalians sometimes have a reputation for being snooty. Holy Communion bucks the trends a bit. We're a pretty diverse parish economically. We have a number of working class folk in our congregation. And sometimes, though, what we lack in economics, we make up for in degrees. Y'all are bucking the trend there, too. You don't have to be wealthy to worship the almighty dollar. I'm not going to belabor the description of mammon too much because I spent the last few weeks preaching on God's economics. Suffice it to say, mammon is the god of status, of access, and of cold, hard cash. Our dollar bills may still say the words, in God we trust on them, but often in this country we behave as if our hope is on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. If you get caught up in the worship of mammon, if you give your soul to wealth, you will always feel like you don't have enough. Happiness will always come with a price tag. You'll find yourself working late, missing family events. It's no surprise that when those guests are invited to the king's banquet, one of them goes back to the farm and the other goes about his business. If you worship mammon, you'll find yourself waiting to really live for after the purchase of the next item, after the money is saved, after the loan is paid off. Aaron might have been lying to Moses when he said the golden calf just formed itself in the flames. But can you understand why he said those words? Has worshiping wealth ever felt like the default in our society? The worship of mammon can be easy to fall into, but the drive to accumulate, the quest to buy enough, save enough, own enough, that worship never satisfies. Worshiping mammon can drive you mad. Mammon has a twin, another horned god, Moloch, the false god of security. And some of you might recognize the name from Allen Ginsberg's poem, Howl. Ginsberg uses the name again and again in a frightening cadence. Moloch, Moloch, Moloch. It's a name of terror in literature, and for good reason. Moloch is one of the most ancient names for a false god. Moloch rises up again and again in the scriptures, 
Often as background noise, scholars tell us that Moloch was the Hebrew name for the god who demanded child sacrifice. In early Mesopotamian cultures, families would sacrifice a child in order to get the god's protection. For the safety, for the security of the many, a few children were offered up, killed. Well, we're well beyond that barbarity, aren't we? Are we sure? One might argue there seems to be a rising tide of worship in this country at the altar of security, and some people's children are being sacrificed. Some time ago, I spent the better part of an afternoon with a friend who happens to be African-American. As we talked, I noticed she kept checking her phone. Her son had just started his freshman year of college at a school up in Appalachia, a few hours' drive from their home in Washington, D.C. He was coming home for the weekend with another student. My friend was visibly nervous. She finally explained to me, I'm worried what will happen if they get pulled over by the police. My friend's son arrived at his parents' house safely that day, but these days I know her fear wasn't uncommon for a mother of a black son. Security and safety aren't uniformly insured in our society. I wonder how much the current president's rhetoric about refugees and immigrants also stokes Moloch's flames. Through our parish's connection with Cristosal in El Salvador, we have heard the stories of Episcopalians in Central America whose lives are at risk. Children, minor children, keep making treacherous journeys across the deserts of Mexico to escape threats of murder at the hands of gangs, only to be told they are not eligible for asylum in our United States. These days, our security is apparently more important than our invitation to the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. How often does protecting our security require allowing violence or suffering. In just a few minutes, we'll confess our sins. We're using a modern prayer right now at Holy Communion. Your worship committee chose this confession because it seems important, especially these days, to confess the evil we have done and the evil done on our behalf. Moloch is a dangerous false god, dangerous because it is easy to allow the evil to be done on our behalf without asking questions, without knowing that someone is making this sacrifice in our name to preserve our security. I don't mention Mammon and Moloch to terrify you or to guilt you into proper behavior. Without describing the stakes this story from Exodus can seem a little silly. Even Sunday school lessons will often make fun of Moses' people for worshiping a little golden calf. I mention the ancient false gods because history has shown us that worshiping at their altars brings real suffering. As I began this sermon, I told you that many Episcopalians confess a sort of casual atheism. Now I want to surprise you further. I think what so many of you call atheism can actually be a good thing. Hear me out. 
You see, I don't actually believe most folks when they tell me that they are atheists. I say most because I do have a few thoroughly committed philosophical atheist friends. I believe them. But I don't believe people who call themselves atheists and then come to church week in and week out. I don't believe they are actually atheists. I believe there's a better word. Iconoclasts. The historians among you will know that there have been several iconoclastic movements across the centuries of Christianity. Iconoclast means image smasher. In Christianity, about every 500 years, there has been a season of smashing. A group of faithful believers have decided their culture has depicted a God that is too small. And they've started breaking down the images. We might be less violent this time around. We might simply choose which images are allowed in worship, in public spaces, and which are kept in museums for study. I was back at my seminary this week for an alumni meeting, and in the meeting we heard about the progress that's being made on the new seminary chapel. Back when I was a student, the old chapel burned. At the meeting, the dean was updating the alumni on three pieces of stained glass that will be incorporated. The announcement came out a few weeks ago that the three new windows will represent the Trinity. And the dean said that many Episcopalians had already written in worriedly, to ask about what would be displayed. Particularly, would these windows feature an old white guy, a blonde Jesus, and a bird? <laughs> the old chapel windows featured a lot of very Victorian blonde Jesuses and at least one old white guy in robes. I think it was telling that a room full of seminary alumni, Episcopal priests, breathed an audible sign of relief when the dean said there would be, quote, no people in the windows. To those of you who have found a home in the Episcopal Church and still flirt with atheism, I want to say this. I admire your faith. I think in this church at this time in history, it makes sense to question what our society describes as God. There are so many false images out there. Some of them have ancient names like Mammon and Moloch, wealth and security. Others are new or new incarnations, allure, power, ego. Even religious institutions especially so-called Christian institutions, can get caught up in false worship. Power corrupts. This is why I think it is important that we come here week in and week out, looking for the true God. As St. Paul says in the letter to the Philippians, keep on doing the things you have learned and received and heard, and the God of peace will be with you. We come here week in and week out to be reminded because there are so many gods on offer, so many gods out there in the marketplace. It's important to reorient ourselves, to come back to this altar. If you are struggling with God, I want to invite you to keep wrestling. Keep denying the false images. Moloch and Mammon are easy names cheap names. 
Moses, God's name, is more difficult, impossible to pronounce. The true God takes time. If you're wrestling, I invite you to consider, could your doubt be an act of devotion? Do you have a hunch, a hope, that the true God is out there? That God invites all of us to the wedding banquet? That God loves us more deeply than we can love ourselves? The God in whose worship true riches and true security can be found? Not just for the few, but for all. Is your so-called atheism a denial of the true God? Or, are, or do you simply reject the false gods that society offers today? Amen.